Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be joined in studio by Rian Borman, MD of FlightSight and founding director of FlightSight Agent. And we'll be chatting about a recently signed memorandum of understanding between FlightSight Agent, Tebe Tourism Group and the Tourism Enterprise Partnership. Anton Twig is the portfolio manager for Namibia Breweries Limited, and he'll be on the line to give us some insight into the rising popularity of beer, both here in South Africa and around the world. It's even being suggested that beer is now the new wine. Velma Corcoran, Executive Marketing Manager for Cape Town Tourism, will be joining us, and she'll be telling us about the recently launched Hello Weekend campaign, which aims to position Cape Town as a city where there is something on 52 weekends a year. And finally, I caught up with Barbel Hronegres when she was in Cape Town last week, and she's the director of the Turingia Tourism Board. It's in the heart of Germany. And she was here in South Africa to promote this part of the world, which is absolutely jam-packed with history, music, food, wine, and loads more. And just a reminder, there's a short list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd like any of those, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. And my two favorite documents that are there are 50 things to do in Cape Town for under 50 Rand and 101 things to do and see on the West Coast. So if you'd like those, just drop me a mail, travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, flight site agent recently announced that a memorandum of understanding had been signed with the Tebe Tourism Group and the Tourism Enterprise Partnership to help develop entrepreneurs who are interested in starting their own travel business. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined in studio this evening by Rian Borman, and he's MD of Flight Site and founding director of Flight Site Agent. Rian, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thanks very much for having me again, and thanks for the opportunity. Well, the last time you were here, we also spoke to one of your top agents. I think it was Nelly Okapo, her name was, and she was the shining light. She's almost the one you hold up and say, this is how, what you can do. Um, <laughs> she was brilliant. And uh, I wonder, how is FlightSight going? And for those who don't know what it's about, tell us about FlightSight Agent and how it all works. Well, first of all, just with um, how the platform works, it basically, in a nutshell, gives whoever signs up the same view as a travel agent would traditionally need um, what's known as a GDS, um, a Galileo or Amadeus system, um, to get an access of airline inventory. So just with access to a simple user-friendly website, um, you can see seat availability and the price and the seat classes, and you can actually hold or confirm a booking depending on if you're um, holding a quote for a customer or actually looking to issue a ticket. Now, they don't need all that experience, um, as you were mentioning, the Galileo and all that stuff, because you do all that for them. Absolutely. So, I mean, Nelly's a shining example. Mm. So she's still one of our top five agents every month. Um, she's up in Joburg, and she, before she joined, she never had access to um, any travel agency system and no experience whatsoever, and um, she consistently sells um, the most tickets to Joburg, Lagos, and, and, and back. So she really has come along in leaps and bounds, and... You know, the website, I think the hardest part is getting to grips with the, the the business model and then how to use the website. But from then on, it's quite easy. It's not an ongoing process of learning. It's just really that initial step. Now, normally if people want to start a travel agency, it's going to cost them quite a lot financially to set that up. And if you join as a flight site agent, there are no costs involved. 
Correct. So, I mean, our business model is purely based on volume. We need thousands of agents ticketing through our platform to make it viable for us as a business. So that's why we took the, the decision um, from the very onset that we will never charge a joining fee or a monthly fee or a setup cost. Um, there's no contract, so agents can literally come and go as they please, and there's no minimum requirement. So we have one or two agents that are, are registered as families, and um, you know they just book their yearly trip. And, and we have other agents like Nelly who are booking several trips uh, or several flights for clients a week. And so how does this actually work now? If somebody decides they would like to try this, they don't need any formal training in the travel industry. They don't need to have be, been a travel agent in a previous sort of life or anything. They can just come along, have a look at the website, flightsiteagent.co.za. All the information is on there, and they think, well, let's give this a shot. What then? So, I mean, I think the first ingredient for, for success is just to have an appetite for, for hard work. I mean, it's all about service. I mean, we had, uh, to give you an example, an agent recently who couldn't understand why they weren't converting their quotes into bookings, and, and we figured out that they were actually following up three or four days later. Um, so it's, it's just that ethos of, um, you know, being in the service industry, being a travel agent, and um, getting customers what they want at a price they're looking to pay at a time they're looking to to travel um, so that's really it's, it's really core to to have a passion for service and apart from that there's no other requirements it's really a case of you know come along um, sign up each person who signs up as a flight site agent is allocated a dedicated account manager and there are free training um, allotments that you can go through the setup process in a one-on-one -on -one online um, training session where one of our account managers will show you how to Name your name your agency and load your logo, and, and you can even set up um, sub agents sub agents within your agency if you have more than one person in your office, um, and just really how to navigate the system. and And I think it's probably pertinent to recap on on how an agent makes money from it because mm. we get that question a yes. lot. So um, our system doesn't mark up any airfares, and we've got some great negotiated airfares because we're part of Club Travel, um, so they have an immense amount of spend that means that they can negotiate with the airlines. And when we pass on those, those airfares directly without marking them up and make them available on this website, and an agent will come along do a search according to their customers' requirements, and then all of the options are there. They can um, tick an option whether they'd like to SMS or email a quote to an agent. So, for example, if you uh, to a customer, so if you say to me, "Look, I'm looking. I'm thinking of going to London. Um, these are my dates. I'll go. Great. Let me have a look." And then I can either SMS you a quote or I can email you a quote, and then that quote will include whatever markup I've set. So we can decide as the agent how much we want to put onto the price that you've given us. That that ticket is absolutely okay, and it, and it's changeable all the time. So you can actually change it on the checkout if it's one of your friends and you don't want to charge them as much as you normally do, charge other clients. You can change it dynamically. It's not a set thing that you need to decide uh, for a long period of time. It's, it's literally you can change it per booking. Um, and it's either a percentage or a set markup. And we give our agents guidelines of what would make them competitive um, in the industry. So what's great about the system is through a simple website that there's no setup or joining fee and, I, and as an agent, I don't need to put in capital of my own because I've provided you with the quote as a customer potentially, which you've accepted, and then you pay the money into the flight site bank account. We deduct the money that's due to the airline, and then what's left is the agent's service fee, and then the agents can request, and we have some agents who actually ask to get paid out you know, once or twice a day with, with the commission they've earned. So it's, it's a great, from a, from a business model 
for an entrepreneur without having to put up too much, um, you know, there's no capital required. It's just time and energy and, and a passion for service. And how long has Flightside Agent been going now? It's about two years? It is, correct. Um, so we're going into our third financial year now. We've just finished our last one. And, and to give you an idea on the numbers, um, in our first year, we did about 8 million rand turnover. Um, and in our second year, we've just um, completed our audit and it's 22 million rand turnover. So I think the, the graph's definitely going in the right direction. And, mm. and, and we're meeting our objective, which from the, from the beginning was to ask this question of, you know, the travel industry hasn't changed, um, you know, for as long as I've known it. So I don't, I don't think we can rely on government alone to shift the demographic of the travel industry. So how do we, how do we as private enterprise, um, you know, kind of make an effort to to shift the, the stakeholder in, in the travel industry, which which really I think we're meeting that objective. It is going, um, like I said, it's going in the right direction. I, I would like it to go quicker, <laughs> um, but it's getting there slowly. So now this memorandum of understanding, tell me about that. So we um, bumped into into TEP at a function, and, and TEP, is, as you mentioned earlier, is the Tourism Enterprise Partnership. Um, it's a part funded by government and part funded by private enterprise. And um, what they, what they've, do, they've done is they've nurtured f- over four and a half thousand M- SMMEs in the travel sector, whether it be a tour operator, a travel agent, a guest house. Um, so it's great that they've got access to members that they've mentored. Um, in some shape or form, and and we looked at that and thought, well, there must be some kind of value in offering them this opportunity to earn ancillary revenue because they're dealing with clients in the travel industry but not selling them flight tickets. Um, But to do that, obviously, we would need to hold several workshops and actually provide them perhaps with marketing collateral so that they could advertise that they now sell tickets. And that's where Tebe came in. Um, You know, Tebe, I quite like their tagline on on all of their company stationery. It says, Building communities, our bottom line, and I think you know we we quite simply spoke to those values. So they came on board and said, "Look, we'll we'll fund the the workshops because um, it really speaks to the values that that we're cultivating as a company." And and TIP had the access to the database, so TIP will help us identify the members in their database that this might resonate well with. So tell me about the workshops. You've held some already this year, but there's more coming up. Yes, so we've got a few workshops planned. Um, the first one is on the 16th of July in Cape Town. And then that following week, we'll be doing a little route, a road trip to PE, Durban and Joburg. And in those workshops, the objective will, uh, will, will be two phase. We'll have um, a separate session for um, agents that have just signed up and never had access to um, meeting an account manager or really neat like a beginner's workshop and then the second workshop will be uh, for agents existing agents um, so we'll do two workshops in each city so if you're a bit more at a senior level and you'd like to to get to grips with how to close a sale better or um, you know we've got other products on the system now there's there's hotel accommodation there's hundreds and thousands of hotels worldwide accessible in the same platform um, so there's lots of ancillary services bus tickets are coming so all of these things now that um, agents can do we'll also talk about in, in a different workshop on the same day. Now, these workshops, are, are there only for members of TEP or can anybody come along who would like to find out more? Um, absolutely. Anybody can, can come along. Um, you know, obviously, TEP is the springboard and, and um, what's very exciting is they've given us this opportunity to be able to hold these workshops. Um, but, you know, we'd love as many agents as, um, as possible to come along and find out more. And there's no limit on the number. I mean, there's no limit. I mean, <laughs> that would be a great problem to have. I think yeah. if, if that happens, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll definitely extend our road trip. And, and because we're there, we want to make the most of it. Mm. But this is a wonderful opportunity for people that are looking to do something in the industry, but have possibly never thought that they had either the, um, the right qualifications, because you don't need any of that now. You will t- teach them all that. So you, you can come into this pretty much cold without having had any prior travel agency experience. 
Yes, correct. I mean, you know, we've seen four different profiles of types of agents sign up. So the first one are, um, you know, individuals um, who are just looking to book their family trips, like I've said, um, small businesses who are looking to book their corporate travel without paying the fee. Um, you know, our system's got a little bit of reporting and, you know, sales and things like that. So they, they're using it for their, for their staff travel. Um, and then tour operators, and then this last segment is are these entrepreneurs who come in blind and they're hungry and they're, they're the hardest work, but they're the most rewarding. It's exciting, though. It's very exciting, and, and I, I really do think that I mean, as as we've seen with the turnover growth, we are heading in the right direction. And if we can keep finding these partnerships, um, you know, we'll definitely create these opportunities to make real change, which is which is really important to us. And just the, some of the stories, there must be some, I mean, Nelly is the one I keep going back to her because I, I can still remember chatting with her and being so impressed by her and her excitement and that passion for what she was doing. Are there a number of those? Are there a number of Nellies out there, basically? There are. I mean, I had an email today, this actually this morning, from a chap who's just opened up his own office down in Tilburg Square in Cape Town. And, and and he calls himself Swahili Travel and Tours. So, you know, he, using the system, has now got to a point where he actually, well, you know, I'd like to open up a bricks-and-mortar shop and service my clients. Um, so, you know, really exciting stories like that from, from all walks. And like I say, and even family, I mean, we had one family who just booked their Disney trip, um, all the flights for their Disney trip using the platform. And, they, you know, they, that was a couple of months ago, and, and they'll just do their family travel. So, you know, what's great about it is all of these dynamic different stories and and they keep coming online and, and it's just wonderful to be a part of the journey it's very exciting so i mean there's big stuff happening now you've got these um workshops coming up and this wonderful mem- memorandum of understanding that i mentioned and lots more of these i'm assuming in the pipeline in the future yes yeah, so you know our approach really to i guess see where this goes is just to take it as it comes so you know if if, if agents really have um, like we've said bus tickets bus tickets kept coming up in the last year or two you know the agents wanted to to be able to sell bus tickets and earn commission so we'll see where it goes and just keep uh, the system needs to keep evolving to match our agents needs otherwise um you know the the, the word I, I can't think of a better one but otherwise the platform isn't sticky it becomes we, stagnant almost, yeah it yeah. becomes stagnant so we need agents to come on give it a try and then it needs to speak to their needs um so that's really important for us so bus tickets is one um hotel accommodation we've introduced that's doing really well so we'll just see where it goes and and we need to keep evolving i think that's the main thing a wonderful 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 plan i think this is amazing so if you're out there and you think gosh this is something you'd like to do i'll give up the website in a moment go and have a look and you could be the next star flight site agent rian thank you very much indeed for coming in and for joining us this evening thanks again for having me rian borman is md of flight site and he's founding director of flight site agent for more information as i said there is a website it's www.flightsiteagent.co.za and if you missed that just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I'll send you that website but definitely if this is something you're interested in I would go and have a look at it well not right now because you're listening to me but after the show go and have a look flightsiteagent.co.za This is Rowena Bird We are all Africans SAFM says no to xenophobia Never again We are one Africa. Only one thing can move this country forward. Its workforce. SAFM. We're proud to be a nation built by the hands of workers. Time to travel with Karen Key. 
Well, I'm sure when you think of beer, your mind usually goes to a group of guys around the braai or cheering on their favorite rugby or soccer team. But beer is putting on a whole new face, I believe. It's rising in popularity in South Africa and also around the world. It's also being touted as the new wine. And it's challenging one of the biggest stereotypes that men drink beer and women drink wine. Well, to tell us more about all of this, I'm joined now by Anton Twig and he's portfolio manager for Namibia Breweries Limited. Anton, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Corin. Hi. Um, thanks, for, thanks for the call. Well, I'm, I'm, I just need to clarify this now. Then you're telling me now that beer is now being known as the new wine. It, it seems to be a whole new change in the way people think about this now. I, I, I think there is a change happening. Actually, the change has, has been around for a long time. I think it's hitting South African shores in the last couple of years, um, primarily driven by the, 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 the growth in what we kind of call craft beer, which are really microbreweries or boutique breweries that are starting to develop really interesting styles of beer and giving the consumer a lot more variety. So people that normally wouldn't have been interested in beer are now being... Um, the interest is being piqued by this, the, the, the explosion of different styles of beer and different formats, and I think that's adding a, a huge amount of dynamism to the beer category in general. Now, I talk a lot on the show, because of you would imagine being in Cape Town, there are loads of wine festivals, there's one almost every weekend. So I've always got something on here about wine, but don't often talk about beer, and maybe I should start changing my mind and looking at more things to do with beer. Absolutely. You know, there's just there's been such an explosion in different styles of beer, um, uh, partly driven by, by the craft beer industry, but also I think the, 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 the global village that we live in these days just makes um, international borders so transparent. So beer styles from Europe and America infiltrate into our market very quickly. And um, uh, consumers are, are becoming a lot more experimental. So in the old days, you, you would have, you'd have your favorite log and you'd stick to that from when you could drink or probably before you were allowed to drink till the day you died. And consumers now are tending to have a broader repertoire. So they would have a couple of, of different beers within their repertoire just because there are these different styles of beers are available. And consumers are, are willing to experiment and try out new things. Now, I mentioned that you were portfolio manager for Namibia Breweries Limited, and people would then realize we're talking about Vintuk Lager. Uh, yeah, Vintuk is obviously our biggest brand. Yeah. Um, but, you know, brewing good beer has been close to Namibian breweries hard for a very long time. And, and, and I think that's what we find quite exciting about this trend of experimentation is that people are now starting to question, you know, actually what makes a good beer? Why do I have to be satisfied with the boring old lager that I've been drinking for the last 20 years if there are these other beers available? So we're very excited about it. And now talk to me a little bit about the Vintuk Brewery itself because it, there's a lot of history there, which I always love anything to do with history. Tell me about the history out there. There, there is. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean the companies was... In, a, in its current form, was formed in 1920. It was a consolidation of a whole bunch of independent breweries in Namibia by two German bankers way back when. Um, and I think their ethos of brewing, uh, brewing authenticity really planted the, the seed or built the foundation for what the company is today. They firmly believe that if you can't brew a decent beer, then rather not do it at all. 
Uh, one example which, which I find is quite telling is that during the Second World War, they couldn't find sufficient ingredients to, be a, to brew the beer in the way that they wanted, so they just closed down the brewery. They oh, just, my goodness. Didn't brew any beer, <laughs> which, which for me is, I think, uh, that, that kind of like speaks to, to our ethos of, mm. of believing in, in good quality beer. Um, and, and therefore, that's something that we try and bring through to the modern day. In, in the way that we just develop our, brew, our brews. Because what I've been reading about the beer is that you talk a lot about pure beer. Yes, pure beer is, is uh, let, let's be honest about it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a marketing line that we use. Mm. It's based on, on the principle that, that all the Namibian brewery beers are brewed according to the Reinheitsgebot, which is a mouthful, but it refers to a, a, a beer brewing law that was formulated in 1516, by some German emperor, um, which dictated that beer should only be brewed using um, malted barley, hops, and water. And we, we stick to that principle because we believe that that's the, that's the best way of brewing beer. Um, modern technology allows you to uh, add all kinds of things to the brewing process that, that shorten the brewing time, that extends your yield, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that, we believe that's not the right way to brew beer. We believe that by only sticking to those three ingredients, it's, you, you end up with a, with a better product in the long run that's better for you, and also you get the complexity of flavors that, that uh, we believe is the right way that beer should be brewed. Where do all these ingredients come from, though, Anton? Are they locally sourced? Are they imported? or what? No, they're imported. Um, because unfortunately Namibia is a pretty dry place. You don't grow um, barley and hops um, in Namibia. Hops is grown in South Africa, but unfortunately we don't have access to that, so all our hops is imported. The barley is an interesting one. Uh, we've just started a, a, a recent empowerment project to start growing barley in the north of Namibia. Uh, the, the climate there is suitable. We can grow barley there. And the project is now in its second year to um, try and source locally because obviously import, uh, importing barley is mm. not, not a very uh, economically or environmentally sensitive exercise. So if we can start sourcing our barley from Namibian growers and have local cooperatives that start growing the barley, uh, that makes a lot of sense economically. And also we believe that's a great way of, of contributing to the economic development of Namibia. Now you mentioned the Reinheitsgebot, and that's been in operation effectively since 1516. I mean, it's a long time ago. And you still, Vintuk still follows this tradition. I mean, and also what I found so fascinating was that anyone who's hoping to be a brewmaster has to go and spend time over in a 500-year-old brewery in Germany. Yes, that's part of our brewer training program. So we, we believe that's the right way to do things, and we believe that if, if you want to learn how to make proper beer, you actually have to go and spend some time in Germany. So we've got a, quite a strong brewer development program where we develop local talent in terms of the art of brewing, and part of the training program is to go and spend time in Germany, and they do a whole apprenticeship and learn how to make beer. And as I said, the Reinheitsgebot is still in full operation 500 years later. It is, it is. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, we're not the only brewery in the world that follows the Reinheitsgebot. Um, 
we just believe that is one of our differentiators in terms of the local um, beer category. And the the actual the buildings itself, I mean, are they still back? You said they started, I think you said in, was it 1920? Yes. So obviously times have changed. You can't still use the equipment that we used in 1920. So we built a new brewery a couple of decades ago, which is a state-of-the-art industrial brewery. That doesn't change the fact that we still uh, adhere to the Rhinos Kambot. It just means we just do it a lot better and a lot more efficiently. And all that old equipment and the old bill, is that possibly a museum now? Or can people go and have a look at how it was done back in the day? It is actually. There's an amazing building in the central Vintage, which is one of the old breweries. So the, 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 the Namibian Breweries Company was a consolidation of four big breweries, uh, of which the old brewery in the central Vintage is one of them. And it's now turned into a, a craft tourist center. Uh, with It's just an amazing space to go into and just get the sense of history of these old breweries. There's another one in Swakop, which, which was closed down a couple of years ago. Um, but, yeah, who knows? Maybe one day we, we start brewing beer again there. So it's now people can go and see how it was done in the old days. And I'm assuming, Anton, that not too much has changed over the 500 years that this all started with the Reinhardt over in Germany and the methods and everything else pretty much still the same. Absolutely. That's the amazing thing about beer. And I, and I suppose wine as well, you know, because mm. uh, that's where the conversation started yes. is, is beer than your wine. The technology has been the same ever, you know, since the year dot where you take some ingredients, you chuck some yeast into it and you end up with alcohol and people enjoy that. Well, I, I think this is amazing, people. We'd have to have a whole new look at beer now because, I, as I said, I talk a lot on the show about wine and all the wine festivals and the wine makers and all the wine things and don't really talk too much about beer, but I'm possibly going to have to change my mind now and think this is also something that, uh, you know, it, it lends itself as well to tourism. I mean, you know, because people go, come to festivals and they do things and I've been looking at all sorts of different um, things. I think there's something I just want to have a look here. Yes, um, they do pairing with beer now, don't they? Food and, and beer pairings as opposed they, to food and wine they, pair, pairings. They do. I mean, there are, I mean, the numbers vary, but there's probably about 90-plus microbreweries in South Africa now, and some of them do amazing things in terms of pairing, pairing their, their beer with different things, and food and beer pairing also makes a lot of sense. You can cook with beer just as you can with wine, and also the different styles of beer just, bring different things alive in the food. So it's, it's another, just another century journey that people can go on. And so my challenge to people is next time when you think of, of going on a wine tour, rather consider a beer tour. There you go. <laughs> Something different. Well, Anton, thank you for enlightening us. That was very informative. Thank you very much indeed. And thanks for your time this evening. Great, God. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Good night to you. Bye. Anton Twig is Portfolio Manager for Namibia Breweries Limited. And for more information, you can take a look at the website. Well, there's two of them. It's either vintukbeer.co.za or nambrew, N-A-M-brew.com. And uh, just to let you know, there is something here in Cape Town called the Super Cool Beer Tour. And I'm, I'm hoping to get them on the show in a couple of weeks because what they're doing as well, as Anton was mentioning, all the craft beers, they do all that sort of thing and they take you around all over Cape Town and they do the food and beer pairings at different places. So I'm going to hopefully get the super cool beer tour people on here in a couple of weeks' time. So keep an ear out for that. Time to travel with Karen Key. 
Well, as part of Cape Town Tourism's drive to turn Cape Town into a year-round destination, Cape Town Tourism launched their brand new domestic marketing campaign at Indaba 2015 this past weekend. The campaign, which is called Hello Weekend, aims to position Cape Town as a city where there's always something on, 52 weekends a year. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined now by Velma Corcoran, Executive Marketing Manager at Cape Town Tourism. Velma, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Well, after that intro, I don't need to tell you anything more. Oh, no, you do. There's lots to talk about. I had a look at the website. I couldn't tear myself away from it. kept thinking, well, I'm sure I don't have anything on that weekend. I can go and do some of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not just for the people coming into Cape Town. If, if Cape Townians go and have a look, it gives you all these fabulous ideas, and you can go and do it yourself. You don't have to fly in to come and do it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what we've tried to do is... To start from the point of view of someone who is looking for something to do for the weekend. So if you go to the website, which is Town, you can do a little quiz, um, and it will profile what kind of a weekend person you are, whether you're sort of a, a, um, an endorphin chaser or a, whether you're a foodie or a culture vulture. And then based on that, we'll recommend weekend options for you to do um, that suit your so that suits your taste. But what I really liked, I mean, it gives you the different weekends. You can go and click on a weekend, on, on a date for the weekend, and then it tells you. For example, coming up this weekend, we've got the Adrenaline Rush weekend, which might not be everybody's cup of tea, but that's fine. Come next weekend when we have taste scapes. Now, you can't tell me that none of, no one's going to enjoy going to enjoy all the good food and wine we have down here. The, twen- the weekend of the 29th, for example, is Greens and Teas weekend, and we have some fabulous world-class golf courses in Cape Town, so come and do that. But how does this all work, um, Velma, price-wise, what's included? Tell me a little bit about the sort of so, basics of this. So what we've done is just to give people a taste of – so we started off by saying, actually, no matter what the weekend, there's always something on in Cape Town. So we took – sort of the 13 quietest weekends of the year between May and the end of July, and we decided to theme them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you can only come to, you know, you can only come and do those experiences Mm. on those weekends. Um, So, for example, on the Tastecape weekend, um, which is the weekend from the 22nd to the 24th of May, we called that the Tastecape weekend because it's a good food and wine show in Cape Town. Um, but we also then have, you can do the Champagne Sunday Brunch at the Potluck Club. I've tried it. It's fantastic. You could do the Tasting Kitchen in Farnshook. We suggested that Saturday morning you've got to go to Jason's Bakery on Brie and get your cronut, which Ooh. is a sort of a croissant yes. and mm. a um, donut combined. There's an option of doing the Chef's Table at the Mount Nelson. And then there's also a Cape Malay cooking class. So for each of the weekends, we've try to sort of curate some really interesting experiences. We then also work with Thompson's Holidays, who have packaged weekends to Cape Town from Joburg, from Durban, from PE, and then also you can do self-drive. So, and what they've done, which is really nice, is they've matched hotels to, to fit the weekend. So for the big spender weekend, which is the luxury weekend, you'll stay at the 12 Apostles, but for the um, and and there, there are packages returned from Joburg for just over three thousand three hundred rand. The adrenaline rush weekend you'll stay at the Fire and Ice for three thousand one hundred rand. Um, from Joburg two thousand eight hundred rand from PE, um, and then the Tastecape weekend you'll stay at the Pepper Club. 
Now so you, you, you you've really tried to pair the hotels with the kinds of weekends. Now you've mentioned you mentioned the price, but what people don't understand is that that price, if I'm not mistaken, Vilma, includes the return airfare, a car hire, and the hotel accommodation. Yes, yeah, so it's it's um, return flights um, from Cape Town to you, and and that those flights include your airport taxes. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because that's always the sort of you get the price yeah, yeah. and then you think, oh well, that's that's great price. Oh, but excuse me, you still got another seventeen hundred rand or something for airport yeah. taxes. Yeah, that's so all included. No surprises. Airport taxes are included. Two days car hire, um, as well as two nights accommodation. You can't get better than that. Yeah, and and breakfast is included. Oh. Okay, and then all these other things that you can do. You, I like that you sound a bit like one of those fast food chains. You're saying you can supersize your weekend. Exactly, yeah. So you can things. supersize your weekend and add on whatever experiences you want to do. So, for example, this coming weekend, if people, are, it's a bit late now, but if you, you can still book, I'm sure, to come down for the Adrenaline Rush weekend. Um, that's things like hiking lion's head, abstailing table mountain. There's a great white shark cage, diving, zip line through the trees, surf lessons, paragliding. I'm actually exhausted already. Um, so there's all this stuff. And as we said, you don't have to only come down and do it this weekend. You can come anytime. Yes. And, so, and I mean, I think, so, I mean, the, the whole aim behind creating these weekends and theming them is so that people can see wow, there really is just so much to do. But, you know, if you're a little bit like me, I'm a little bit of the adrenaline junkie with a little bit of the taste, um, a bit of the foodie, and then I actually do like to take it slow. What you can do is any of the packages you can book on any weekend between May and July. And then what the weekend should really do is just give you an idea of what you can do over a weekend. So, you know, you may want to come Saturday morning, do hike lines, you know, go up Lion's Head, followed by breakfast at Jason's Bakery. Um, the afternoon, you might want to do some zip lining. The next morning, you might want to really just um, go for brunch at the Potluck Club, and then in the afternoon, do go for a spa experience. So it's just to give, it's really to give people an idea of what they can experience, because for us, I think the main thing is that people think that Cape Town is just a, um, a sun, sea, beach, and table mountain destination. Mm. And we want to show you that there's a lot more to do. Now, you mentioned just these few weeks from May to the end of July. What happens after that? So what we're wanting to do is that we want to populate every single weekend of the year. So on the same microsite from um, August onwards, you will see that there will still be themed weekends and possibly some slightly different experiences that suit the season. But because the time of year where we struggle the most in terms of our industry is May to July, we'll probably be putting the most spend behind this amount, you know, this period. But the website will be there and we will continue to promote weekends. Back in the day, and I'm talking quite a long time ago, winter in Cape Town used to be known as the secret season. Yes. Do you remember that? Um, yeah, the winter in Cape Town has had many names. It's been the green season, the secret season. I think people like to call it everything else yes. but winter. <laughs> well, I remember bumping into some some tourists who were out here from the UK, and they, they kept asking, they said, um, we were told we were coming here in winter, and it, we were standing outside with a blue sky, and it was lovely, and it was a little nippy, but, I mean, there was no rain, there was nothing. It wasn't a windy day, granted, but, I mean, the sky was blue, and they were quite sort of blown away. They kept saying, isn't this supposed to be winter? Well, and I think that is, 
it's exactly why people are reluctant to call Cape Town winters winters. Because mm. as soon as you, especially if you look talking to, inter, to an international audience and even, you know, people who come from Joburg, you know, you say winter and then people conjure up these frightful Cape Storms Town winters of rain and cold <laughs> and... You know, and really, you know, some of the best days, I mean, I'm a runner, and some of the best days to go trail running or to go hiking on the mountain are in winter. If you don't have the wind, you end up having clear days. You've got water on the mountain, which you don't have in summer. It's a little bit cooler. Um, And so there really is, you know, there's a lot that our winter has to offer, and there's a lot of stuff in Cape Town that are, that, that are better to do in winter than they are the rest of, than the rest of the year because, you know, so trail running is better to do, hiking is better to do, it's better to go surfing um, during this time of year. If you're into adrenaline sports, it's better to go shark cage diving because you don't have the wind and the visibility is a lot better. So I think what we really want people to understand is actually what are the things that are, that are season-specific that are better to do now than they may be in December. And also, isn't it a little bit cheaper to come here in, win- in winter? Well, the value at this time of year is absolutely fantastic. And I think especially if you're wanting to, you know, if you're a little bit on a beer budget and you're looking for a champagne lifestyle, mm. then this time of year you are, it becomes really affordable to stay in a four- or five-star hotel. And, you know, the restaurant specials are unsurpassed there's some fantastic um restaurant specials and even if you you know you're not looking for a special it also just is a little bit easier to get into that restaurant that um you may struggle to go get into at at another time of year so it really is possibly the best time to come down here well that's what we think but (laughs) and i think you know that's possibly why people have referred to it as the secret season Mm. because nobody really wants to tell anyone that this is a good time this is just between you and me velma as you know we won't tell anybody anybody. but the other thing and this is one of my favorite things to do in winter in cape town when there is one of those stormy stormy days which i think are just best ever i love the stormy stormy days in cape town there was a route at one point i don't know if it's still there but i'm sure we could find it there was a fireplace route and you could go to all these amazing places that had these incredible fireplaces and you can go and sit in front of one of those and have a drink or have high tea or something with a storm raging outside and you're sitting in front of this amazing fireplace well on our on our website one of the the blogs that we've written that has performed the best and every year we update it and every year people come back to it is restaurants with fireplaces mm. in cape town yeah, that, that's, and as I said, that is fabulous, especially with the storm raging outside. Mm. You can just sit there and watch it through the window and have a great time in front of this amazing fireplace. So, you know, there's, there's, there's no, nothing bad about the Cape Town winters, in my view, anyway. Yeah, and I think it's just, you know, I mean, the wonderful thing about seasons is that it adds different dimensions to the city. Um, and it really is just about, you know, not being ashamed of winter and not trying to hide away from winter, but celebrating what winter has to offer. And then also just one of the weekends that you've got, the one coming up on the 29th at the end of May, the Greens and Teas weekend, you've got a Biltong and Wine pairing as a suggestion for something to do there as well. Now, that's quite new. I've heard about that before, but you've got that on this list of things possibly for you to do. Yeah, so that's at Durbanville Hill. Mm. Um, and they do, I mean, they also do um, a wine and chocolate pairing. So if for the ladies who might not be into the Biltong. But, I mean, it's, it really is wonderful. So... They, you know, they match the sort of the flavors of the biltong, whether it's more salty, um, 
different types of biltong, sort of more coriander-flavored to the various types of wine. And I, mean, I heard you speaking um, just a little bit before about um, sort of the beer tasting. Yes, yeah. Um, and, you know, we really are, we're spoiled for choice, whether it's, you know, wine and chocolate pairings, wine and biltong pairings, um, you know, on the on the bros and brews weekends, it's not, you know, we've also sort of one of the things that we were thinking about was also including, um, you know, the beer pairings on, on that weekend. And then also just for those I mentioned as well, one of the weekends, the end of the month, actually, is the Greens and Teas weekend with all the golf we can do down here in Cape Town. And uh, am I correct in thinking Aussie's Golf Guide, they supply all the equipment so you don't have to lug all your golf clubs down here with you? Exactly. Aussie's... Um Aussie will come and meet you. He will supply you with all the equipment, and um, he's also got caddies who are who are also tour guides in their own right. So his um, golf guides will also be able to, you know, tell you more about the city and also have some recommendations about what you should be doing after you've finished your round of golf. Because some of the golf places that you've put here, I mean, there's Milneton Golf Club, Lagoon Beach, and Atlantic Beach Golf Club. I mean, all of them, a lot of them around Cape Town are, are, have the most spectacular sea views, which I always think is so incredible. I think it's the one out, is it in, not Fishhook, where it's out that way somewhere, where it's, it's quite oh, a... Clavelli. Clavelli. It's quite a difficult golf course. I know my son plays there sometimes. And it's quite a difficult golf course, but he says the views and the position of the course is just amazing. Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, the things that um, what people say about what we... So the, the I mean, the views are unsurpassed, but also, you know, what we can offer in terms of an offering, not just on the course, but after the course. So, you know, the Cape offering has been often called wine, golf and gourmet. Yes. So, you know, the food and wine that goes with the golf is also quite something. Gosh, well, Vilma, I hope all these ideas, and there are some fabulous ideas out there, won't just appeal to people coming into Cape Town from around the country, but also to the locals, to the Cape Townians who possibly sitting at home thinking, well, I don't know what to do this weekend. Go and have a look at Town. Honestly, you will be exhausted at the end of the year because you'll be wanting to do all of it every weekend. There is so much on there that possibly you'd forgotten about or hadn't known about. Um, I, for one, didn't know that Jason's Bakery in Cape Town was making those fabulous cronuts. Definitely going to have to make a turn there because I haven't been able to find them for a while. Now at least I know where they are. Velma, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us some of this uh, fabulous news about what's coming up, especially for the winter. Well, we won't call it that, the secret season, the green season, whatever you want to call it. Come and enjoy Cape Town in the winter. Velma, thank you so much for your time thank this you evening. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you at Jason's Bakery on uh, Saturday morning. I will be there. Thank you. Velma Corcoran is Executive Marketing Manager at Cape Town Tourism. And to find out more, take a look at the website. It's Hello Cape it's hello weekend.capeton www.helloweekend.capeton time to travel with Karen Key I'm joined this evening on the line by Barbel Hrunegras, and she's the director of the Thuringia Tourism Board in Germany. She's out here promoting this amazing part of the world. I don't think many of us know about it, and that's why she's here. Barbel, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. So tell us, Thuringia, where exactly in Germany is this? It's absolutely in the middle, in the center of Germany. It's also called the green heart of Germany. And as Germany is in the center of Europe, you're right, when you're in Thuringia, you're in the middle of Europe. Gosh, so it's one of those very central parts of, of Germany that not very many South Africans, I don't think, are that aware of it. 
Yeah, unfortunately. But if you come to uh, Frankfurt, for instance, uh, via uh, from Johannesburg, um, then you probably um, should go to Berlin or to Munich, um, and you have to pass Thuringia. So why don't stop there? <laughs> well, yes, I always say it's always those places we bypass that are the most interesting. So yeah. I was looking through some information, and gosh, there are, it's just packed with stuff to do and to see and just give us some sort of idea what are the highlights if we came to Thuringia what are the highlights that we should look out for there so there are three UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Thuringia uh, for instance there's the Wartburg uh, that's the really a role model for a medieval fortress it dates from the 10th century and um, it's right at the western part of uh, Thuringia and the eastern more eastern part it's Weimar it's the, the classical town of Weimar also cultural capital of Europe in 1999 and there you find uh, this classical city where poets like Goethe and Schiller lived and um, uh, where also the Bauhaus movement, the modern design school, was um, founded in 1919. So we are having uh, the 100th anniversary in only four years' time. Lots of music names, sort of iconic musical names from that area as well. Yes, it's the land of music. Thuringia uh, uh, is the home of Johann Sebastian Bach, the famous composer. And he was born here. And uh, uh, think of Wagner, too, who lived in Thuringia with uh, his father-in-law, Franz Liszt, as you mentioned. And uh, uh, German music, music isn't thinkable without Thuringia. Now, the other thing that really fascinated me, because it's the kind of thing I'm passionate about, is all the history and the historical things. And Thuringia has got a lot of castles and lovely towns and a lot of history in that area. Yes, and this so small area, only 1,600 square kilometers, uh, you have more than 400 castles, fortresses, palaces, uh, all you can think of. <laughs> so give us an idea of some one of the, one of the highlights when it comes down to that, castles. What, what would be your yeah, pick? Maybe, yeah, maybe you should, uh, when you're in South Africa, you should uh, uh, think of uh, Schloss Friedenstein, it is called. It's the home of um, uh, the family of Saxony, Coburg, and Gotha. Gotha mm. is the town where Friedenstein is located. And, of course, you all know Queen Victoria and her husband, uh, uh, Prince um, Albert, oh, and their son, Alfred, became Duke of Gotha, Saxony, Coburg, Gotha, and lived on Schloss Friedenstein from 1893 on. And, um, of course, there's a reference to Cape Town, too, when you think about Prince, Prince Alfred. Yes, yes, the, we have the Victorian Alfred Waterfront here. Yeah. So there is that connection. The, the One of the things that I really thought was something that many more places should possibly do and that you do in Thuringia is the family-friendly label. I thought that was a wonderful idea. Yeah, uh, we have very, um, uh, we have small towns, farmhouses, anything you can think of uh, that suits families and our biking trails, they suit um, the um, rivers, so it is very easy to go there and uh, feel comfortable when you're with your family Family and your small, even small children are very comfortable here in Thuringia. I think that's great because I often speak on the show about the fact that people's travel ways are changing because people are having their children later so the, the parents are now mm -hmm. more established and they'll go to more upmarket type places but they want to take the children and a lot of these places are not that happy if you bring the little children and it's really 
nice to have something like the family friendly logo that people can see this is where I'm going to be quite happy and they're going to be very happy for me to bring my children. So yes, I like that. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's exactly. really good. And you mentioned that it was the green heart of Germany. And one of the things you've got the forests and the cycle trails. Tell me about the outdoor life in Thuringia. Yes, think about our famous hiking path. It's called the Rennsteig, and this is really a treat for um, everybody who loves, loves hiking. You pass the top of the mountains, and it's going for about 170 kilometers, and you have splendid landscape and all the cultural treats uh, right uh, near this uh, hiking path. Normally, uh, when you're in nature, uh, the nearest town may be some hundred kilometers away, but in Thuringia, everything is on this small spot, on this small, in this small area. So that's really um, what uh, what the different ma- difference makes in Thuringia, that you um, have any, everything that you can want and you can combine a hiking trip with uh, a trip to a theater in the evening. So uh, during the daytime, you're going to hike, and then you know, why not go to a theater in the evening? That's I also like that you have something called forest wellness and you've got the spas in Guta, is it, that you have that? Yeah, uh, what the difference is that, uh, you see, if you think about spas, uh, you think about uh, bathrooms in uh, closed uh, Mm. um, areas, in a hotel, etc. But we are doing this right in uh, our forest. So why not have a massage under the treetops? So, and uh, listen to the birds singing. That is really something very different. And I thought you, we spoke about the families coming to the area to visit, but you've also got a wonderful toy museum. I read that you've got over 100,000 exhibits in the toy museum. It's in Sonneberg. Yeah, it's in Sonneberg. That's in the southern part of um, uh, Thuringia, close to Bavaria, to the Bavarian border. And uh, we are very proud of our toy manufacturers. Uh, you see, uh, some 100, 150 years ago, people were, were very poor um, in Thuringia, and they uh, made the toys by hand. But they were famous for this toy making. One of the things I also talk a lot about on this uh, show is the fabulous food and wine we can get around the world. And Thuringia is no exception. You've got some amazing food and wine there as well. Yeah, we are the most northern wine-growing area in Germany, and it's fantastic white wines that grow there. Uh, From Thuringia, beer comes also. We have uh, beer since the medieval ages, and we have uh, very good beers. Trust uh, in us in Thuringia. We know how it is made. And uh, we are uh, also very proud of our sausage, the Thuringian Bratwurst, it is called, is famous all over Germany. And you've got all sorts of fabulous things like chocolates and things like that, mm, too. Really- <laughs> yeah, you have to come uh, to the Merchant's Bridge. That is something some, something special, too. Uh, it's um, a bridge um, with houses built on it. It dates from the medieval times. You don't find that anywhere in Germany, either. And there are small shops on this bridge. And one of them is a chocolate manufacturer, and you have to um, have a taste of his chocolate. It really is worth a trip to Germany to Thuringia. <laughs> and the other thing that we get here in South Africa, I'm not sure if it's the Thuringian version of it, but we do get Stollen at Christmas time, and you have your own Thuringian Stollen, uh, um, you know, specifically for your area there, the Christmas cake. Yeah, it is called Stollen or Schittchen, so uh, the difference between Thuringia and Saxony, for instance, um, it is typical for the, the region, and it's made only for Christmas time. And we are celebrating Christmas uh, right through um, the month of December, and uh, you have to visit our famous Christmas markets, too. And then I have to ask you about your potato dumplings. Apparently, they're a mm. particular <laughs> treat in Thuringia. Yeah, they are made 
by mashed potatoes and raw potatoes. And then it's mixed together, but it is all absolutely handmade, and it goes with uh, roasted beef or pork, and um, uh, it's really a special treat here in Thuringia. So there's lots to do. There's lots to see, lots to do, and it definitely sounds like a family destination. So there's lots for the, the parents to do, lots for the children to do. What is the best time of year to be there? Maybe um, you should come in, during the months of May um, up to October. That gives you the impression uh, of, of our nature, of our landscape, to enjoy our land. But also, if you like winter sports, why don't you come uh, in the month of December so you can combine it with our Christmas markets. Do you have any winter sports, sort of skiing or anything like that there as well? Yeah, we are doing cross skiing and Thuringia is very well known for its skiing parts too. So um, we are also, we have some famous sportsmen taking uh, part also in the Olympic Games for cross skiing and biathlon and uh, so we are proud of our skiing areas. So as I said, any time of the year basically and uh, families are welcome. How easy is it to get to Thuringia if we're flying in, as you said, to Frankfurt? Is it quite simple to get a connecting flight from there? Yes. Um, maybe you shouldn't take a flight at all um, because when you are in Frankfurt, it uh, takes only a two hours uh, ride by train oh, right. to arrive uh, in Thuringia, just uh, in the heart of our uh, country, right in Erfurt. So it's quite simple, just hop on a train. And I know your, your trains run very well and all on time, so it won't be a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be quite simple, to, quite, quite simple. And accommodation-wise, is there is there a range of accommodations? Is it mostly hotels? Are there bed and breakfast establishments, sort of slightly cheaper forms of, of accommodation if people are looking for that? You can find absolutely everything in Turingia. It, range, it ranges from uh, the five-star hotel uh, to a simple farmhouse accommodation, bed and breakfast. Uh, why not stay with a local family, etc. Everything we can offer. And where would people find this information, Barbell? Is, is there a website that they can have a look at? Yeah, please don't hesitate to have a look at our uh, internet site, our, our website, and we would be very lucky to help you and uh, to ask to answer all the questions. So what is that website that they can look at? Uh, it is uh, www.visit-turingia.com. Okay, visit-turingia.com. Yeah. Okay, and as I mentioned at the very beginning, you're currently in South Africa exploring our land, the first time you've, you've been here. Are you here to promote travel to Thuringia? Absolutely, yes. We are traveling with a, a delegation um, and uh, we accompany uh, firms uh, that are doing business in um, South South Africa. So we thought, why not combine this and invite people from South Africa uh, to visit Turingia? And as I said, it's one of those destinations. People go to places, as you said, like Frankfurt. And, but they don't. this is something that I'm not sure that many people know about this part of Germany. And by the, all accounts, you could spend weeks and weeks there and still not get to see everything there is to see. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> is there anything special coming up for the rest of the year? Are there any, do you have festivals? I know you've got your Christmas markets and things, but anything else coming up between now and the end of the year? During summer, we have a wide range of festivals. Uh, think, uh, uh, for instance, of our cathedral festival. That is something very special because it is performed on the steps of our Erfurt Cathedral. And uh, this year we will have the opera uh, Der Freischütz, uh, but next year it is Tosca coming up. So this is a special treat not to miss in Turingia.
Gosh, it sounds like the place to go. I always talk about people's bucket lists, and this definitely has to be on your bucket list. If you haven't been there before, sounds like somewhere new to investigate. Barbara, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show tonight, and I wish you a pleasant stay for the rest of your time here in South Africa. Thank you very much, Karen. It was a pleasure. Good night to you. I was talking there to Barbara Gronegress, and she is the director of Turingia's Tourism Board. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Turingia, you can have a look at the website. It's visit-turingia.com, and Turingia is spelled T-H-U-R-I-N-G-I-A. So visit-turingia.com. Well, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. Just a reminder, on Monday coming up in the Law Report, it's our monthly law clinic with uh, Nicolene Skuman-Lowe. So if you have any questions for her, she loves to talk about estate planning on your wills, as you probably know by now. So any questions on that, please join us on Monday. This is coming Monday, the 18th of May. Well, as I said, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. If you've missed any information, you can find it on Facebook, Travel on SAFM, or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And just a reminder of my two favorite things that I've got, if you're interested in getting copies of them. The one is 50 things to do in Cape Town for under 50 Rand, and 101 things to do and to see on the West Coast. So if you'd like those, drop me a mail, travel at safm.co.za. Well, time for some nighttime music now with Stephen Kirker. Hello, Stephen.